Hey, Shai. And Shai is, um, is pronounced correctly. Yeah, perfectly. Very good. This is not, not, you know, not common here. And um, of course, you, um, I invited you, you know, to really find out what is your first computer, actually? Well, uh, it's a Sinclair Spectrum, but I actually downgraded to a VIC-20, so, which is a funny thing. Uh, ignorantly downgraded, though. Uh, the first computer, me and my best friend, who you interviewed a decade ago, Han Fischbein, we both had a Sinclair Spectrum, which was an amazing computer, as you probably recall. And uh, a year or so later, after we were already programming with it and, you know, having lots of fun with it, uh, my uncle saw it and said, you know, this computer is so small. We, uh, there's a much bigger, way better computer because it's bigger, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, and he bought a Civic 20, which is uh, like uh, the younger, uh, crappier brother of the Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as good as the Spectrum, actually. The Commodore 64 was great, but the yeah. uh, Vic 20, not so much. So, but it looked similar, right, to the, yeah. to the Commodore? Yeah, it looked very similar. In terms of uh, memory and everything, it wasn't nearly as great. And mm-hmm. it wasn't as accessible as the Sinclair Spectrum. I mean, we programmed the Sinclair Spectrum without actually knowing how to write yet at that age. You know, we were mm-hmm. five and six years old. So we oh. didn't know the alphabet properly. And we were able to use the Sinclair Spectrum because it was that simple. And... Uh, the VIC-20 was a more traditional computer. It was more, it had a more typical keyboard without the uh, the commands on each button and you needed to actually type out everything. It was a big step backwards in that sense. But mm-hmm. then I moved to the Apple II, so, so that was good. And uh, One question. And all went well. You said your friend, which I interviewed, was it Shen Fishbein, right? Shen, yeah, that's an Hen. that's a harder name to pronounce. That that's impossible. It's Shen. You can't Hen. say it physically. Shen. <laughs> no. no. Close. Close. Okay. <laughs> and it was in 2013. It was an interview. Um, so I interviewed him about code name one. Yeah. Exactly. Um, code name one. Exactly. And you are saying. That uh, this is the guy with him you had fun with the Vic, with as you were five five years old. Yeah, we both uh, learned basic on a Sinclair Spectrum back then, which it's a great story. Was, so, you so you have a, a, a yeah. ex, um, lifelong friend, right? Literally lifelong, uh, like from the moment I was born, babies in the crib next to one another, door next cool. to the other door, and to this day, best friends. So this uh, is a, a, actually it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, pretty uh, yeah. much so. Yeah, I, I, I interviewed him in 2013, and now I'm talking to you, so it's actually all you. <laughs> really nice. Yeah, continuation, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, so, and he's a repeating figure along my, my journey, which uh, his was more twirly in terms mm-hmm. of computers, and mine was more of a direct line, you know, not straying mm-hmm. as much away from, uh, from our industry. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, the last time I saw you in person, either you or Hen, was a Java one, and one of you wore suit suit with with a tie. So you look really serious. Probably. I don't know whether it was you, maybe. Probably Sounds you. more like me. If I and did that. you had yeah. a, a meeting or something, right? So like uh, investor or whatever. It was uh, one of you know last Java yeah. ones at Sun Microsystems. So the last time I met you, 
And um, yeah. it was something which makes Java sense makes if it was money. if it was 2013, then it's probably when we're trying to raise money for for Codename One. A spoiler didn't get any. Uh, but yeah, but you looked really serious. So I, I, you looked you really like you know. I'm a very um, serious person. You can see. I'm yeah. totally a very serious. Person. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you looked like um, <laughs> how is the guy from Oracle? You know, the chief Oracle, uh, Larry Ellison. So you look, you know, like ah. yeah, Larry Ellison. But Larry Ellison doesn't that doesn't doesn't wear a tie. So you looked really perfect. So um, ah, and thank and you. yeah. And I met you. I never you wear know, a tie. So you saw one of like uh, Hen's wedding and that, and that's about it. Yeah. So I've. And very, I also remember where I met that. you. It was the, um, you know, the bridge between uh, between where the Sony is. Uh, there's a specific name, you know, this Sony Theater and in San Francisco, and there's the bridge to, um, to Moscone. And this is where we met the very last time. And um, I don't know why, I just remember, because and it, we had a chat with Codename One, whatever, and then I met you, and this was like, and I was like, okay, hi. And you said hi. Wasn't and it on the no carpeted area between uh, where they have these outside parties between the Moscone centers? Was it yeah, you know, the there's the Sony Theater, there is like, you know, some tea, there is like uh, on the other side of Moscone Center, uh, it is a specific yeah. name, yeah. the area. There were some, you know, um, tent uh, areas. There was a party one time. Yeah. I and, think it's uh, it was there. Yeah. But my, my memory might be hazy, you know. It's Yeah, sure. sure it's been sure, a busy but, uh, decade. Yeah. Uh, mm. okay, and, and you started to program with Hen Spectrum or you played uh, basic or you yeah. played games or what's the story? Basic, we didn't my parents never bought the tape deck, so we had absolutely no other option other than to write code. You and didn't bought it on purpose? Did. Yeah, I guess so, although it's hard to okay. tell. They weren't technical people. So okay. they sort of, you need to buy the kid a computer. So they bought a computer. The idea of a tape deck, you know, I don't know if it was intentional or uh, have no idea. And there's no one mm -hmm. to ask by now, you know. So okay. it, it just but, wasn't um, there and, and we programmed. But it was actually great strategy that it worked out. So because it could be, it couldn't work out. It could happen that you would lose interest in computer, but it was other yeah. way around, right? You, you and what do you? Yeah. I assume you wanted to code your first game. My assumption is it true or not? Yeah, pretty much <laughs> okay. so. Yeah, we learned how to change the shapes of ASCII characters so they look like cars and made them sort of drop from the top, so it feels kind of like you're driving in a road, very badly. Uh, and that's the extent of my memory of uh, that period. We didn't do graphics then. I don't know if it wasn't an option or what. I distinctly remember that you could define a new shape for an ASCII character there, mm -hmm. which was pretty nice, and uh, and use that as sort of a makeshift car. Mm -hmm. uh, that was it. Later on, you know, I moved to uh, uh, the Apple, the 68K uh, mm -hmm. computers, and uh, the Apple II, etc. But did it work, the and, game? Uh, so it, did it work at all or, or not? Uh, work is a really wide spectrum okay. there. So... Some you you typed in run and ran it and something ran. It was just you know what five year olds consider to be entertaining. Five year olds is incredible. I mean is, that you can even yeah. you know type type proper things is. But you're right with spectrum. Something at random. Yeah. Yeah. The the <laughs> keys were like macros, right? We remember yeah, R was exactly. like run, L was load, so you you couldn't. With you just one needed to remember. Stroke. 
yeah. values and someone showed you how to do something and then you were able to do it. You didn't even need to know how to write, which we didn't know at mm-hmm. that age and mm-hmm. uh, definitely not in English. Uh, mm-hmm. So we somehow, I have no idea how we were able to do that, but that's a very strong memory and it's definitely not something from our parents because both our parents uh, can't use a computer in any way, shape or form you know, okay. to this day. So there's no no risk of that seeping in. Okay. So somehow we got that working. No idea. Uh, by the how. way, I, I remember the name. It is Metrion where we met. Metrion is the name of the area. It was the Sony on the other side of the Moscone. There was like Sony Theater and there was like, you know, um, uh, some bars or something like this. So Metrion yeah. is the name. Okay. Yeah, and then the you started. Old Moscone. Yeah. And you started then. Um, so why you got the Apple then? Uh, so we uh, years moved by, you know, and okay. uh, Spectrum sort of went out of vogue, and uh, computer classes that I started oh, taking okay, at cool. eight or so were on the Apple. So I moved on to that, and uh, people told me, you know, that all games are written in assembly. So I said, okay, I'll learn assembly language. And so I started a class at at 68K assembly and uh, learned how you can uh, burn a a monitor on a 68K Apple II, Uh which uh, I assume you can, at least back then I believe that I did. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's uh, learned all sorts of uh, programming languages then, uh, Pascal, uh, assembly, these sort of things. And... uh, and then proceeded, you know, later in the following years to, you know, Turbo Pascal, uh, computers and all of that journey. Did uh, anything interesting happen everything. on Spectrum or was just, you know, the attempt to write a game? Mm-hmm. and Just the attempts to write a game and everything. We were too young for that to, okay. to do anything on the Apple? really serious there. Mm, I was too young. You know, okay. it's, it's sort of the experience. I got some of the ideas at the age of eight. It's really hard to understand bases. And I got it at that age. But it was too premature to be mm-hmm. of any value. And yeah. only, I think, it only started sinking in when I was approaching high school, when I started my first BBS. Mm-hmm. And, what is BBS? Uh, and, uh, bulletin board system, you know. Oh, okay, the okay. Dialing. This is what. what yeah, okay. So. I think I thought this is like you know class in a high school, but no. Okay. This was <laughs> no, the precursor no, of uh, internet, right? The BBS is like. Yeah, you know, yeah. You didn't have yeah. one. No, I was wow. la- uh, uh, later to game. Uh, I got uh, internet yeah. later, and before internet, I did computer stuff. But internet came late, so my first internet uh, connection was with uh, robotics modem. And it was uh, almost, uh, there was like almost fast connection already, 33.6, mm. what I remember, kilobits. Yeah, right. my BBS was uh, 1,200 uh, oh, okay. uh, baud, so hmm? 1.2. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I, I built essentially a BBS, which was on the shared phone line at home, because there, mm-hmm. we didn't have two phone lines at the time, it was back mm-hmm. then. Yeah, and uh, and people would just you know between these hours you can dial into the BBS and uh, mm-hmm. people would dial in and uh, and you chat with them. It was nice, and uh, then I also I went I did computer science in high school and uh, started my first job at about sixteen. Wow, where uh, was it? I built, which city? So it was in a city near. 
I was living in Kfar Saba back then with Khen, and it's, uh, which is sort of a suburb of Tel Aviv. Okay. And uh, this was in sort of a uh, nearby city, but it wasn't uh, at, on location. It okay. was for an educational center where mm-hmm. they needed to build a game for kids. Mm-hmm. And back then I was doing lots of DOS programming uh, with uh, uh, game programming and, and that sort of thing. So we're doing, you know, double buffering and sort of uh, uh, there was a special video mode in uh, in uh, x86 uh, uh, in Intel uh, DOS uh, for a, sort of a 240 by 320 VGA mode where you could render alternate lines but do a hardware buffer flip with double buffering, which oh. was really cool. And uh, I would... I loved hacking the, those sort of things. So I built a game on that uh, for that company. But you built needed, a game, uh, now, your first proper game, right? Yeah, for first proper game. So the guy hired me to build a sort of a simple teaching game for kids where you sort of fire something. I don't even remember what sort of fire sprites on things and get points based on solving the right uh, answers for simple mathematical games, uh, uh, questions. And uh, here's a kind of a tragic story. Uh, so this person hired me. Uh, his name was Moshe. Mm-hmm. And he sort of gave me the job as a contractor and promised me a certain amount of money. And I started working on it, built the whole thing. And then, you know, uh, one day uh, we had one channel back then. There was no multiple channels or things like that. One channel for the entire country. So my mother was watching the evening news and she's like, isn't that uh, your job over there? I was still in high school, so I wouldn't go to the job. I just, you know, I, I met the guy like two, three times overall so isn't that where you work and where i go to the tv and i see the place where i work and then the picture of my boss and he was shot and he died yeah and apparently you know just a convict on vacation looked through his drawers pulled out a gun that he owned and killed him um you know in the struggle later on totally random thing uh for that guy um mm-hmm. you know and uh sort of that's how i lost my first job okay not uh pretty tragic uh yeah but you know um yeah but this was like uh, not, not a plan the other guy just shot without a reason right no just without you, you know um uh, that uh that year and the year later were two, the only two cases of people I know who died from uh, firearms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel pretty strongly against firearms uh, yeah. uh, since then. You know, it's totally random. Both cases, people just, you know, uh, got shot. Okay. And that's kind of, you know... I, I tell the story about my first job in, in that sense, and it's kind of weird that it ended in that way. Yeah, uh, I don't even know how to to process that, even after all these years. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so what uh, you, what you did more. then? I mean, so did I mean because you you had the code, right? But it was useless. Yeah, or... yeah. I gave it to them, and uh, they gave me a check, but uh, I don't think they ever used it. You know, the, okay. it was the only one that was uh, running it, and no one knew me really. So mm-hmm. I don't think they ever did anything with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it was super embarrassing for me as well. I didn't really know how to process that because the first time I knew someone who died and, Mm -hmm. you know, at 16, you don't exactly have the emotional capacity to really internalize that sort of situation. And uh, it was a pretty... uh, Yep. But it seems like it was a nice guy. Situation. Yeah, seems like a, he, yeah. As far as I remember him, he was a super nice guy, and yeah. very tragic. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so what happened don't then? Buy guns. Uh, no. Anyway, uh, so yeah. So you you are absolutely right because I mean, uh, if if you have a gun, it is either useless yeah. or if you use it, it's even terrible, right? I mean, what what yeah. <laughs> this is like? You know, it's usually used against you. That's that's a yeah. statistic against you or against someone you love. So yeah. don't don't buy them. Anyway, uh, so after that, uh, I worked sort of as a, an instructor in some places, you know, teaching mm-hmm. computers, programming and stuff like that. I, I used to hang out in a computer store and do all sorts of that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. then I got drafted to the military. Mm-hmm. And while I was in the military, I got another job. So I worked for a company. Mm-hmm. that uh, did, uh, you remember Paradox by any chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, Paradox is so like a, we did it's a Paradox right? stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic, it's it's not just the database, you know, there was DBase, which was very popular mm-hmm. back then, and Paradox wasn't as known, but it, in many regards it was superior. Mm-hmm. It um, The idea is kind of very DOS-like. It's They tried to do a Windows version, but it never took off the ground because it was so different. And by the way, during that time, I one thing I neglected, I was Team OS2. If there's people, listeners who are into OS2, I was really active on Team OS2. OS2 Warp, and right? Yeah, before Warp. Warp was, was okay. way later. You know, I was OS2 okay. 2.0. Uh, I installed all the adventurous stuff there, and I was installing Linux and Slackware Linux like before, before Red Hat was a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was very big on alternative operating systems. Uh, my friend and I installed uh, uh, Solaris x86 back in mm-hmm. when we were in high school. You know, mm-hmm. so we were big uh, operating system junkie. Uh, so what, uh, similar here. So um, I wanted I, to have Unix for C++, but it was impossible to buy Unix. So I started with Linux. And it was before the Slackware, I remember, and there was German Linux distribution, DLD, very early. Also used that, but it was crazy. What I remember, I have to, I have to dis- disassemble my machine to find out the chip number we have to put, you know, to the Linux installation. Then then I got, you know, then got it working. So it was crazy time. So this is, uh, this is what I remember. And I will also remember an operating system, an alternative one, which was supposed to kill Apple, and it was object oriented, and you could actually buy it. I forgot. B- it was not, not, what? BOS. 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 Yeah. Exactly. BOS was so fantastic. I wanted, yeah, I wanted really to buy it, but then it disappeared. So I, I actually saved money. Yeah. So now I will buy it. It was a nice box. It looks great. It looked great, and I wanted yeah. to have it, right? Yeah, it was a fantastic box. I never got it either. It's, uh, but the concept of an operating system written from the ground in C and very object-oriented microkernel concepts. You know, the mm-hmm. story that Apple wanted to buy them. You're mm-hmm. familiar with that? No, no. So, yeah. You're not familiar with that? So, no. the founder of B was mm-hmm. uh, Jean-Louis Gasset, if I remember correctly. 
Okay. And he was a former Apple executive and he sort of formed the company. And when it didn't really take off because it's really hard to build a computer company from scratch, Apple wanted to buy them. Back then they had Mac OS 9 mm-hmm. and were looking to upgrade to something new. And they were constantly failed in building the next generation operating system. Mm-hmm. So they decided to do an acquisition and they tried to buy B. And it was literally at the stage of uh, deciding the amount of money during the negotiations. Mm-hmm. They were debating how much B would get and at what conditions. And then they did a 180 and bought Next, sort oh. of uh, another company founded by From Steve Jobs. Apple. Exactly. So, so they bought exactly. you know, Steve, Steve Jobs at Next. This is a family, but I didn't knew about yeah. B. Uh-huh. So, so they used, I guess they used both one against the other to sort mm-hmm. of neg- uh, reduce the sales price and to pressure both into, into the sale. Eventually, they bought Next. I always wonder what it would have been like if they would have bought B eventually, yeah. what sort of yeah. alternate reality would have ended. Yeah. Because B, in many regards, is a superior operating system to uh, Next, uh, although it's pretty amazing what Apple did with, uh, with what Next actually built because Next has mm-hmm. lots of baggage that you still see to this day inside the iPhone. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you've programmed it for the iPhone, which I have a lot, it's all NS string, NS, NS that, exactly. and it's all Next, Next Step. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's all still there. All the crud is still deep in there. All of that logic of message passing and things like that that are sort of inherently built in and all of that overhead. It's... It's there forever. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing that they were able to take that old code base and constantly adapt it to every form, every uh, every step along the way. It's, it's a spectacular yeah. journey. Cool. So now back to you to Paradox. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was working you- for this company mm-hmm. that was doing database applications for, for people. And for those unfamiliar with Paradox... It's sort of a really an Uber application, a really, really Mm -hmm. complex application with all the menus. And to program it, you just select menu entries and then you hide the menus. So it's just every command is in the menus and you sort of write the command based on literally stepping over the menus and making selections. It's a it's. Hard to describe that without actually showing it. So, sounds it like a, a visitor pattern mixed with command. It's a very non-object oriented, non-GUI way of programming and very discoverable because mm-hmm. every feature you have in the application is in the menus. So you just uh, search through the menus, you find the functions that you need supported and then you just uh, call them through the menus mm-hmm. supposedly mm-hmm. and then just make the menus disappear and then you have an application. And it's super easy to build very elaborate forms and applications with it. And we did build these sort of applications while I was in the military. I had sort of a relatively easy service where I could uh, be at home some of the time and be uh, in the military some of the other time. Okay. And uh, and I could sort of program. I had a laptop, so I could take it with me to uh, in the military and uh, then come home. And, and do some work on site. And uh, I did that sort of uh, work there. Uh, also took it with me to guard towers and things like that. Uh, but this is actually, f- tell anyone? Sounds, uh, sounds like mm-hmm. fun because uh, usually it is, no, it is a waste of time. But if you have a laptop with you and you do something productive, it's yeah. a great feeling, you know, because the time is yeah, not lost. It's, it, it made my time much easier. And I have, I think, the record in, uh, on my base for the, most amount of time of guard duty ever. 
So like I had the first year of my service, I did uh, over 1,800 hours of God you, mm-hmm. which is considered a lot. You know, it's, uh, some days. Now, now yeah. we know uh, when, you know, mm-hmm. the next version of Paradox happened, right? So it was directly related yeah. to <laughs> to the versioning of the software, yeah. productivity. So, yeah. So back then, I still worked in DOS for Paradox mm-hmm. because the Windows version, you know, it was there was Windows around at that time by then. Mm-hmm. And it was quite popular, but but not for business applications yet. So lots of business applications were still in DOS and Paradox and Windows kind of sucks. So they didn't use that. Mm-hmm. So I had that job uh, during the military. And then when I got out, I started working for an AI company uh, that wow. did uh, uh, sort of uh, scheduling AI, which isn't, you know, back then, uh, we, we did two, we had two separate projects. One of them was a really nice sort of uh, logic-based AI, which I didn't work on much that was called Logist. And in it, you built rule-based systems. But the cool thing about it was that it was able to explain the logic that it took. So for instance, if you built an AI system for a loan and the system decided to reject the loan or to accept the loan, it could then explain the logic of why it made that decision. Right, but this you is know, a years ahead to... because now we have the problem that all the, the the decisions are not explainable, right? So the decision, the problem with today's systems is that they are trainable systems. So mm-hmm. the problem is machine learning. Machine learning is terrible because it doesn't know how to explain. It sort of mm-hmm. works. This yeah. is something. This is the type of AI that sort of classic AI, the really old AI, where you actually had to write down the logic. It wasn't a trainable system. But then as you wrote the rules, the machine could then explain them back to you because you wrote the rules clearly. And oh, is it similar way, to the, you know, Riti algorithm and Android, for instance, for uh, from JBoss, where you had to you know, like a memory, you can put the facts into the memory and then you ask something yeah. and it walks through yeah. the facts. It's a rule system. It's rule system. Exactly. It's a exactly. rule system. So there's several systems like that today. I'm, I haven't kept up with uh, the current stuff there, uh, mm-hmm. but that was back then. One of the problems was that it was written in Hebrew because it was initially written for the military. So Hebrew is kind of a terrible language, uh, objectively speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the problems with it is that all the verbs and nouns are sort of reversed when you compare it to Latin languages. So Wait a second. Yeah, the things. project. I was wrong. I was wrong. It was drools from JBoss. Drools. Mm, yeah, right. And drools. this is what I ref- drools, not droid. Uh, drools, mm. of course. And yeah. uh, this is where we had to use the. The problem was only you never knew which rules become active. So this was the you know uh, because you you put everything to the to the memory, and it was executed, and and then you knew okay something happened, but you never knew. And the ret algorithm was the optimization. So this was the, the mm-hmm. idea. But, uh, okay, so yeah. this was drools for the listeners. The pro- jab was drools. So, okay. Yeah, so this knows how to explain why it came to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty revolutionary, only the problem is it only worked in Hebrew. And if you just mm-hmm. translated the words literally, it would speak, it would write down the answer in a way that looks really weird, where the words, the v- verbs and the nouns were completely mixed because it was really... There was le- no language model that was separate. It was very mixed in with the language model. Yeah. So 
with they tried to adapt it to English, but it was written in uh, like really deep, deep uh, old C C code that was written for OS two actually. <laughs> okay. Uh, amusingly enough, because it was like this really old project and it sort of carried on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other project, which was what I was mostly working on, was a scheduling system. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with heuristic scheduling and stuff like that. It's uh, it's a branch of computer science where you sort of have uh, problems that are not necessarily solvable. And you sort of walk through the tree of solving the problem. Now, heuristic mm-hmm. search is digging uh, usually depth first based mm-hmm. on a certain heuristic, a certain logic uh of direction to find the right solution. There's all sorts of other approaches uh, uh, to solve this that we did. It's a sophisticated simple. form of backtracking. Yeah, yeah. The, we supported backtracking. We supported weights to determine the direction of the search. So you could tune sort of like an equalizer, the amount mm-hmm. of weight you wish to place on every one of the heuristic rules. So you can balance them uh, mathematically to get an optimal solution and one of the first examples of a project that i did was for the city hall in tel aviv here where i scheduled uh, students moving from grade school to uh, middle school so ah. when you move to from grade school to middle school you pick your favorite your friends and then they sch- place you in a specific classroom now there's several other constraints like they want a relatively identical number of boys and girls between each class so there won't be a mm-hmm. class of all boys and the class of all girls etc you'd also want um, grades to be si- uh, a similar average so you won't have a class of really smart kids and a class of all the kids who are have experiencing difficulties you'd want everything to be sort of even so there's all sorts of rules like that and we defined all of those rules and then you just search through the uh, problem of the all the children and all the combinations and sort of go through the heuristic to find the ideal combination where kids can be with their friends and yet be distributed between uh, the classes in a way that's very fair to to all mm-hmm. the kids. And that that's an example of such a problem that I solved. I also worked with Intel on... Uh, they now, have, now I remember, hmm? because scheduling, I thought about something different. But, you yeah. know, a schedule like, you know, the plan of students... This is a known, yeah. unsolvable problem you learn yeah. during your study. There's the traveling salesman problem. There's such a the scheduling exactly. problem. You exactly. know exactly that's is... a scheduling problem. Oh, okay. Chess is okay. a scheduling problem, okay. right? So chess okay. is a scheduling problem, and you can solve it with a heuristic as well. The, the same mm-hmm. way, the same exact way, and uh, it's it's a really cool problem overall. There's lots of solutions yeah. for that. There's uh, um, today. Back then, there weren't many, so we generate sort of Gantt charts showing mm-hmm. how to uh, schedule people and all sorts of things like that. Uh, and uh, it, it was a pretty fun sort of uh, set of projects that we did for all sorts of companies. I worked there for Intel, which has a very complex scheduling problem with uh, their machines that do work on the wafers. They have various types of machines that process the wafers along the way along mm-hmm. the manufacturing stages. And they have one of these machines has two uh, arms and mm-hmm. you want to use both arms to the maximum. The problem is that if one type of wafer arrives to arm one and another type of wafer arrives at arm two, you can't you can't have that. It needs to be specific types so both arms can be utilized simultaneously, kind of like a CPU 
multi uh, super scalar CPU mm -hmm. scheduling issue with multiple pipelines, same sort of thing. You need the right wafers to arrive at the right time to maximize the usage of both arms. Yeah. And for that, you need to go all the way back to the machines that bring the initial wafers and put the right sort of batch of wafers there. So it goes through the pipeline and the machine with two arms gets the right sort of wafers. And then and you have to really probably go one step back again, you know, to, to, to optimize the orders and um, yeah. So accept. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that's a, another example of project I worked on that was uh, very elaborate in, in that sense. After that, I was very was obsessed with uh, this was in C++ C? and uh, okay. Visual Basic for the UI. Okay. Uh, but I was working uh, with Java on my spare time quite a lot. Back then, I was writing uh, articles about Java for EDM2 back then and was hacking with it uh, in my spare time. Which version and, was it? Do you remember? This was the first beta I started wow. uh, working on and then, uh, you know, kept going with that. Uh, I started writing articles for 1.1, I think. That, mm -hmm. That's when I started uh, uh, writing about it. Then uh, Why you like I was Java? Looking... Because it's always interesting because you were so skilled with C, you know, all the programming language. Despise... Java was primitive. Mm -hmm. So I was working a lot with C++, and back then I still liked it, but I felt it was a bit problematic in many regards, but I still mm -hmm. liked it. Mm -hmm. It's only in my next job that I developed a deep-seated hate towards C++, <laughs> and okay. then uh, then Java sort of, yeah, it's so much easier and so much nicer and so much more fun. When I started working with Java, I, I was still a... At that time, I was working with C++, and it was an okay language, very powerful, and I liked the power because I was young. But uh, but I still loved Turbo Pascal, which okay. was a fantastic environment. It was yeah. so convenient and so easy. And Java was the first time where I felt that the language was very reminiscent to me of Pascal mm -hmm. in terms of ease. And the other reason I loved it was the portability, because I'm a big OS geek. So mm -hmm. the portability to OS2, to Linux, to the platforms that I love uh, made it a big difference for me personally. So And, mm -hmm. and the connection to the internet, to athletes and things like that, I really uh, liked the, those abilities, because back then there was no other option to do something mm -hmm. dynamic on the web. So uh, plets were a big, a big part of that. There was no server-side Java or anything like that. So mm -hmm. uh, that, that was the thing that attracted me. So, uh, but I was very much attracted to Corba. And this was something that goes way back. I don't know if you remember OS2 had SOM, which was sort of a, an implementation of Corba with which they implemented their desktops. And okay. I was very big on distributed computing and Corba and, and the whole ideas behind that. Uh, there's so much, you know, open doc. I, I studied all of those things so deeply. And, uh, you know, all yeah, of that knowledge is now... Open doc was supposed now, to be revolutionary, right? So the open doc was... Uh, it was uh, essentially OLE. Uh -huh. But far more elaborate, uh, network distributed sort of OLE, and uh, it's, it's sort of vaporized uh, at some point. No one ever uh -huh. implemented it properly, and it just uh, stagnated and vanished. Uh, uh, for it me, was it's an amazing. Just, you mentioned Corba. You mentioned Corba. So I started with RMI, which I really like, remote method invocation in Java, because you know there was like naming the lookup, and you were done. 
And then mm-hmm. companies wanted to, 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 to have Korba. And if you look at the Korba, it was way too, too complicated. You know, in order to get the naming, you had to look up, you know, the naming service. If you have the naming service, then you can look up the stuff. And the Java was line, one liner with uh, Korba was like a five lines. And so, okay, this is just crazy to have the same thing. Five and lines then, you know, is lucky with Korba. Yeah, but we did already some optimizations. But also, you know, the uh, the narrowing. Uh, so there were some problems with pass by reference, pass by value with Korba. And, and with RMI, everything was solved. It was just beautiful. I never understood why why someone said, so, yeah, because of interoperability. But in my projects, everything was Java. So, okay, you know, who cares? You know, one time can it be C++, but it never was. So this was this was my... So I didn't like Korba so a lot. I did it in C++ back in the days. So okay, it's different. Before right. there was Java. Which Orbix? Orbix you know, or Vigenix? Hmm? Orbix I did it in Song back then. Ah, you know, even okay, before never that. Never so okay. Song was, was built in into uh, OS2 and it mm-hmm. was the implementation because OS2 had an object-oriented de- uh, desktop, sort of like mm-hmm. you'd see in uh, Mac or Windows in, in a modern operating system. Mm-hmm. And it did it back then with four megabytes. And the way it did that was through Korba. Everything was an object, but it was written before C++ was a thing. So mm-hmm. it was written in C, but it used Korba as sort of an object-oriented uh, implementation of mm-hmm. all the objects you saw on the desktop. Okay. And so it was instantly distributed and cross-process, uh, which was a very powerful thing. Yeah. And the, the workplace shell, it's a, it was very powerful. It was very fast, which was amazing and low overhead. So when it came to Java, I did use RMI, but... Uh, I also used Korba, and I was um, used to it by then, and I understood mm-hmm. the logic. So it didn't mm-hmm. bother me to write an IDL file and things like that mm-hmm. because I was familiar with them at mm-hmm. that time already. And uh, and I liked the idea of uh, distributing. Uh, so RMI was nice, but it always felt to me like something overly simplistic to some degree yeah. because it looked mm-hmm. at uh, Java as sort of Java solves everything, and also it has the problem of serialization. Yeah. which uh, is flaky uh, and, and distributed garbage ignoring collection. and distributed yeah. garbage yeah. collection that, because you know all solved, the clients yeah that that solved the problem that that was amazing though because in Korba, you know you don't have any you know, you create objects and then suddenly oh who handles that where is it yeah. you know you need to manually delete it and that yeah. that was terrible but uh yeah it's it is one of the things i really uh liked uh doing and so when there was a job opening to do uh, distributed systems in Korba for satellite image processing, I jumped on the opportunity and okay. I went to the interview. Uh, but I made a crucial mistake and I read a book on my way to the interview on the bus. I read a book about distributed agents, which was also a really cool yeah. subject at the time. Back then, you know, agents. You remember Eglitz? Do you know the Java agent uh, from IBM uh, environment? Eglats uh, yeah, and, yeah, I remember vaguely. I mean, this this predates that quite a bit. But you know, with Korba, it was hard to build agents. With RMI, it was easier because yeah, I don't sure, know if you remember. Sure. There was Mar- Marshall object, and Marshall object you could move bytecode with the state around because yeah. the Marshall yeah. object was um, the class loader was included, so it was able to download the code. From security perspective, not that great, but it was a true agent back then. So I, I mm-hmm. wanted to use it, but there was no use case, right? This was the problem. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So but what, so what happened now? This in, in was your, less about agents. It was more yeah. about AI agents. It was more like about ah. small intelligent elements that uh, were designed to uh, sort of create a hive mind 
uh, approach mm-hmm. to solving problems. This was how people like 20 something years ago believed that we'd solve problems in the future. Uh, you know, lots of mm-hmm. uh, each agent pulls in his direction and essentially you get sort of hive mind approach yep. to solving problems by creating lots of simple solutions. And uh, it was Intelligence it was something of the I was crowd very... back then, right? Exactly. Intelligence of the crowd. Exactly. Back then was a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was obsessed with that. I was sure all AI in the future would be based on that. And I went went really uh, uh, really enthusiastic about that idea to an interview about Corba and distributed systems. And I didn't stop talking about that. And I still got the job, which was amazing, uh, with a company that um, one of the reasons I really wanted to work there was that every desk at that company had a, a PC and an SGI machine next to it. You remember wow. those SGI, oh, those purple ozone. SGI machines? The ozone, yeah, right? it, it was, I don't remember. The, here's the, the annoying part there. So I, I was looking at that office and we go through that and it's, it's a fantastic office with all these SGI machines everywhere. And I'm like itching with my fingers to play with it. And he says, you know, so, okay, the project will only start in six months or so. So for now, we're just going to put you in a different project over there. And they assigned me to a different project. And eventually the project, the project for which I joined them got canceled. Oh. So, so I got stuck with that. The company never worked on an SGI machine. Sort oh. of got screwed on that one. And, uh, and, and that kind of sucked. But I did get to work uh, on a flight simulator. Okay. And uh, to this day, you know, there's uh, a couple of flight simulators from Electronic Arts, and you can see me as one of the pilots in those flight simulators because they couldn't. We had like 16 pilots working at the company doing testing mm-hmm. it and defining the missions mm-hmm. and everything. But you can't take a photo of an Israeli fighter pilot because uh, of uh, matters of national security. Okay. Right? So mm-hmm. they took photos of the programmers and pretended that we were fighter pilots. Oh. And there's still a, a fo- photos of me, you know, standing there with a uniform and everything, like I'm one of the pilots. Wow, they were a true pilot, no? The, all, all the the true pilots, you know, were 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 okay, sad. Yeah. And and you became, you know, you 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 gathered all, the, you know. I got I got the photo, but to be fair, they kicked, they wiped the floor with us when they're playing the game. You know, really? I'm not a huge, yeah. Uh, unbelievable pilots you know there's one thing i it gave me some confidence about the day-to-day security because you know we'd go uh, my friend and i programmers would fly uh, planes loaded with missiles against you know one pilot only with guns and he just wiped the floor with us until he ran out of fuel like <laughs> uh, th- this is always you know my uh, my questions let's say the formula one how how good the drivers actually are uh, can it, uh, kids, <laughs> for could. instance, yeah, whether the kids, for instance, can you know, uh, have something uh, against them or pilot, e- also interesting. So, yeah, the no chance they were as good. So, for, from yeah, okay. they were he, the pilots there were so amazing the, the level of reflexes and attention to detail and the ability to keep their mind on multiple things at once. It, it was absolutely fantastic. That he was so good, and you know, just with guns. And nothing were else. They, were no. they also nice people or, or arrogant? So what was? The... Depends. It depends. That, that okay. there's a wide range, but okay. there's there is a def- definite character. You know, you'd see all the huge motorcycles in the driveway. You okay. know, uh, really. Uh, but th- but there w- there's a wide spectrum of personalities okay. there still. 
But uh, in terms of uh, their skills, at least as pilots, they're all really, really, really good. Oh, and was that, it a game what you built thing. or true simulator? Yeah. So, so we took code of a simulator that was built for military purposes, actually. Okay. And we adapted it to be a game. And okay. uh, it was written in C++. And uh, it, it was a huge code base, uh, very big. And Legacy was built before people really knew what C++ meant and what it meant to write object-oriented code. So, like, uh, they had uh, an, an entity representing an airplane. Mm -hmm. uh, and it sort of multi multiple inherited all the qualities of an airplane with multiple inheritance. Okay. And it used virtual inheritance to sort of work around that, the problems there. I don't so you never knew which method was invoked, right? Oh, you don't. Not just that. If you're not familiar with multiple inheritance in C++, the problem there is that um, C++ sort of aligns the object as pieces in memory, one next to another in segments. And so if you have state in the object that you're inheriting, which you're allowed to have that in C++, then that state will just be placed one uh, next to the main object multiple times potentially. And oh, that means okay. that when you downcast, it might cast to the wrong instance of the state. So okay. you need virtual inheritance to sort of, in runtime, interpret the right inheritance instance and sort of use that. Mm -hmm. But this creates all sorts of other problems because essentially it's only one class that's in, uh, interpreted in runtime. It, it was, there were so many problems there. Also, const correctness. Um, there were so many headers and they built it to be const correct. Mm -hmm. And when you wanted to change something that was const, you had to go back so deep to fix everything. And every build is like a couple of hours. So, and if you change a header, you know, it, it recompiles yeah. everything. Yeah. So, it was a nightmare to maintain that. And this is where you became like Java fanboy, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so. One of there was a weekend where uh, the company, all of it, decided to go to Sinai Desert for. Actually, it's not exactly a desert; it's a G, it's a beach area, mm -hmm. but uh, for for a vacation, and they all flew there, and uh, I decided not to go because I hate the beach. <laughs> and uh, and I took the weekend and came to the office over the weekend and did a refactoring. Because back then we used to use uh, SourceSafe for version control, mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. remember. Yeah. So we'd uh, you'd lock files. And mm -hmm. the problem is that you can't really do refactoring because people would always have a file locked in yeah. place. And if you want to yeah. change something, you need to change everything. You can't. You'd lock the entire system. No one else can work. So I used that weekend, I came in and I refactored the entire system and eliminated the multiple inheritance in, mm -hmm. uh, in that uh, entity. Uh, completely changed every file in the system. And uh, once I did that, uh, you know, it worked much better. During that weekend, apparently someone broke into the office and stole uh, one of the computers, <laughs> uh, a few of the computers, but the one literally in front of me. And when I came in on the Saturday, the I noticed cables were torn, but I sort of ignored that because I'm yeah. focused on my work. <laughs> but, you know, I, we were literally burglarized and I didn't notice that. Mm -hmm. But this actually, that reminded me of something I forgot. In the previous job, mm -hmm. I used to 
come in like at 7, 6 a.m. sort of mm-hmm. thing, uh, you mm-hmm. know, habit from the military to get up early. And I was working and usually someone would go out and smoke and the smoke alarm mm-hmm. would go off, you know, mm-hmm. occasionally. So I just shut the door because, you know, it's, it's annoying. I mm-hmm. kept working and after a while, you know, the lights went off, which didn't bother me because I still had uh, uninterrupted power supply. So I kept working and I'm working and everything. And suddenly my computer goes off. You know, the uninterrupted power mm-hmm. supply ran out of juice. So I opened the door and I see this huge fire hose going through the hall. Mm-hmm. And apparently the building's on fire. Oh. And <laughs> I sort of ignored the alarm. I said, you know, someone's smoking, <laughs> you know, just close the door. And uh, the building was on fire and I'm like walking out the building and suddenly um, the phone I had with me rings and it's like, it's my mother, you know, your office is on fire. And I'm like, yeah, I just found out, you know. (laughs) And you Uh, could walk out or what's the story? Yeah, I could walk out. I I walked out the and there's all these fire engines outside and everything. It was one floor above me, so I didn't smell anything. Okay. Uh, and not exactly above me. So, you know, there was no heat yeah. or real risk. But it's it's amusing that I was in a building that was literally on fire and I didn't, so your, uh, your didn't code notice was until on fire. my computer went off. Your code was <laughs> My on code fire. was distracting and I didn't notice anything other than the code. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what was the name of the simulator you, you built? Is this, is, uh, so it's one? for electronic arts. It was uh, Jane's... Uh, uh, it was Jane's uh, IEF, the uh, IAF, sorry, the Israeli uh, Air Force, and the, later on USAF. So, one mm-hmm. of the nice things about it, it's uh, th- there's all sorts of levels of simulators. It, it, it's uh, a mid-range simulator, you know, not too easy, like afterburner and things like that, or just gameplay unrelated mm-hmm. to flight mm-hmm. and there's falcon and stuff like that which is so complex you need to actually know how to fly a plane to fly it okay. so in microsoft flight simulator as well so ours was somewhere in the middle sort of trying to give you decent gameplay but still being relatively realistic for mm-hmm. that fighter pilots do, do enjoy it and understand the relation to reality but one of the things we had... What uh, I said, the actually, the, 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 the fighters, the fighter pilot, pilots said that is realistic or not. What was, what was the opinion about? Decently the realistic. Yeah, decently okay. realistic. We did all sorts of changes there, like uh, doubling the size of aircrafts, uh, mm-hmm. which is important because otherwise the, uh, the planes would be too small because in the real world, you don't really see the planes you're fighting with. You know, even... Mm-hmm. Even though you have much higher resolution in the real world, uh, you still can't see them. And on a, in a screen that's pixelated, you'd really literally see just a pixel before mm-hmm. when, when it's time to fire a missile. So we doubled their size so you'd see something when you're okay. firing. Okay. And, uh, and that's sort of the main cheat that we did there. But we also simplified avionics considerably because avionics are really, really, really complex. And if okay. we'd have shown realistic avionics, it would have made just takeoff and landing <laughs> so, so hard. I mean, I tried flying the Falcon simulator, which mm-hmm. was a contemporary that was much more realistic than ours. And it was unflyable for someone like me, who's okay. not a pilot. And uh, anyway, so one of the things we did there was very much focus on the gameplay. So 
you we flew re- real missions, real life mm-hmm. missions flown by the United States military and then the previous mm-hmm. one in the Israeli military. Uh, and we let people sort of jump into planes so you could be in one plane and then move to another plane and sort of fly there and the AI would fly the plane for you. And it was a pretty cool thing, you know, because you can experience real world situations. And I learned so much about, I I still love a lot of these stories about uh, uh, all these amazing uh, situations in uh, aircrafts, uh, both both, uh, in civil and military uh, Mm -hmm. stories, because there's so much to learn there about how people navigate these insane stories like a friend of mine got hit by lightning a pilot and was still able to land his plane and uh, there is a very famous story about an Israeli pilot who lost a wing and because there was so much smoke he didn't know he lost his wing and was able to land and there was another story that that's something that we had in our missions where uh, during uh, Yom Kippur war there was a force of about 20 airplanes that uh, attacked uh, an airbase in the south. And it was, there were just two planes in the air without missiles. Mm -hmm. And they were able to chase away 20 airplanes that were fully armed and ready for war, just by luck. And it's it's an an amazing story, you know, that, uh, uh, and there's lots of stories like that about how they do all, all of these things. And it's, it's very interesting. Also, the airplane design and it's it's these are marvels of engineering with all sorts yeah. of uh, uh, niches. You know the story about the first um, civilian um, jet, mm-hmm. uh, why it crashed. You're familiar with that story? No. No, it's it's uh, amazing. They they had the first civilian jet started crashing a few years after it was mm-hmm. built. Mm-hmm. And they didn't understand. There was first crash, second crash, third crash. Suddenly they stopped. They said, wait, there might be a problem here. And it wasn't immediately. It was after a few years. Ah, was out, it a button or something in the wrong location, right? No, no. The windows were square. Oh. They built square windows instead of rounded windows. And okay. because a square is inherently a weaker shape because the corner starts deteriorating after a while against the pressure, Mm-hmm. then the square windows essentially started giving in after a few years. So that's why all windows and airplanes are rounded to mm-hmm. give a more even uh, surface against, uh, against outside pressure. And it's, you know, it's insane that something like that comes up and, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's the small things. And I love these stories. They're so educational. There's another story. Yes. Uh, there was an airplane where there was a dangerous button in the wrong place and it was could be accidentally hit and this causes some 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 problems as well so i'm vaguely something. familiar but i don't remember that it's mm-hmm. uh, there's but so what happened after you why, why you quit the the flight simulator company what happened afterwards so i decided i want to to go at it on my own and i formed a consulting company in uh, 99 Mm-hmm. and focused on Java. And that's where I really go into Java because that's... Was 99 of, uh, the name of the company? No, no. In, in the year 99, the company ah, okay. name was V-Price Consulting. It's, mm-hmm. uh, so I formed a consulting company and started hiring people. Actually, Chen uh, was one okay. of my first hires there and, sure. uh, and quite a few others. And I just started doing consulting, first from my home, and then I hired, uh, got offices and things like that. And... Um, and started getting lots of jobs. 
I consulted for over 100 companies over the years mm-hmm. uh, back then. And uh, it was intense, but very educational. And in uh, during the downtime, you know, consulting is a very ups and downs sort of yeah. situation. I said, I want to build something that's interesting. And my father was a wholesaler and worked a lot with restaurants. So I've always been very obsessed with the restaurant industry. So okay. I... I spent a lot of time in my youth, you know, in the back of restaurants. And I love, you know, the the whole complexity of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and they always had terrible systems for waiters, you know, sort of mm-hmm. touchscreen systems that kind of sucked. And I, and I was really obsessed with Palm Pilots at the time. So I said, okay, I want to build a Palm Pilot application for waiters. So waiters mm-hmm. would enter the order in a Palm Pilot and goes right into the kitchen. Ideal. So I started working on that during my downtime uh, from between consulting projects. And I hated programming for the Palm Pilot because it's uh, it was a very primitive compiler and it was uh, very un- unpleasant to mm-hmm. work with that. And just then Sun came out with uh, the Spotless VM, Spotlets, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which was a precursor to MidP for to J2ME. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I played with it a bit and I said, oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to program mm-hmm. for that in Java. That's so mm-hmm. much better. But I was, one of the things I decided about my company was that we were going to use only Linux. So all mm-hmm. the computers in the office were only Linux, no Windows, nothing. And uh, Mandrake, obviously. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, and the Spotlets VM came out for, with uh, support for Solaris and for Windows, no Linux. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. thank you, Sam. Mm-hmm. So I took the code, which was nice of them to publish, and I just uh, got it working on Linux, which was pretty easy. And mm-hmm. I did what anyone would do: is I just wrote to the to the mailing list and said, you know, hey, I just ported this to uh, to Linux. I'm not sure if it's uh, legally valid for me to distribute it. If someone can uh, illuminate on that, if someone else wants help with that, I'll be glad to help. That's sort of the gist of it. I don't remember the exact name. The exact uh, text, and like an hour later, uh, my phone rings, and it's a guy called Dov Zanman from uh, SIDC, which mm-hmm. is the Sun Israel Development Center. Turns out there's a Sun Israel Development Center, which I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, you know, there's there's this, and I work there, and uh, and according to his recount, I didn't shut up for the next hour, which okay. is very believable. You know, you're hearing me now how yeah. I talk. Very believable. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we we talked, and uh, I went and interviewed at Sun, and uh, then started working with Sun uh, for well over a decade. That proceed uh, continued into Oracle as well. And uh, were you I did freelancer lots of or you worked there. for Sun? I was always a consultant. Uh-huh. Uh, they offered me a job several times, essentially, which I sort of laughed in their face because it's you want to pay me less for me to come and become an employee, yeah, to exactly. get paid less and have less freedom. Yeah. And, but I worked, I had business cards as Sun, I presented as Sun in conferences, okay. I went to customers, flew with them to abroad and all of that sort of thing. And so I worked as a Sun employee in the ways that mattered. So you were kind of a spy, secret secret agent, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sort of. uh, 
I had all the benefits without a lot of the drawbacks. Yeah. So I didn't get the stock options when they were worth $257 billion, but I didn't have the stock options when they were sold for $7 billion. So it's, you know, upside, downside. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's... uh, it, it, it's it was definitely one of my favorite places to work with, and I worked with, uh, as I said, lots and lots and lots of companies. Suggestion. It's still my favorite. We we will yeah. stop here, and I will reinvite you back as soon as possible for the second part about Chai and Java. So it will be like four or five parts if I keep going that way. No problem. <laughs> Sto- the stories are interesting. So if you know Happy if the to. listeners say they don't like you anymore, so we will quit. This is my podcast. I can do whatever I like. So <laughs> we can just keep keep talking because it's a nice history. And what you sent me, what you sent me is an um, video of you from two thousand and seven, I think, from Java One. Eight, I uh, think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I also was on the Java One back then, and I remember a really nice video. And uh, there are actually lots of videos from Java One back then, which is amazing. Yeah, you are a sun a t-shirt. I see this. Uh, I have. Um, oh, I still have the sun clothes, all of them from back then. It's yeah. I and what I remember in the year two thousand, <laughs> this was the year at Java One where they either gave away the Palm Pilots, but there was some Palm Pilot, you know, co-branding with Sun Microsystems, because you could get mm-hmm. a Palm yeah. Pilot, a Java One with Java on it. This is what I remember. Yeah, they had this amazing demo with tanks that they built with palm pilots and laser pointers uh, with lego mindstorms and mm-hmm. they had this game where you'd mm-hmm. fight with the tanks with lasers and was all simulated using java 3d in sort mm-hmm. of 3d uh, uh simulation environment which was amazing i didn't go back then mm-hmm. so i didn't see that but it was uh, pretty cool yeah that, that, cool. that was uh, an amazing demo where people can find you, and maybe you can mention already your book, right? So this is unrelated yeah, to yeah, la- lasers, to lasers and Java, but maybe you know as as a <laughs> as a not yeah, to Java so, a little bit, not not to lasers. So mention your book and and Twitter. And it's we related can to our, consulting. Yeah, yeah, because you know, lots of times when I say I was a consultant, you know, people don't really have an image what that means. It means going into a company and being the smart person without insulting people. And without humiliating yourself also. And, you know, one of the tricks to being a good consultant is being really, really good at debugging. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a book about debugging mm-hmm. uh, by Apris, which you mm-hmm. can find by finding me online at debugagent.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, also debugagent on Twitter, on uh, Mastodon and uh, Shail Morgan LinkedIn, etc. And uh, I also have a course uh, that explains pretty much uh, everything there is about uh, debugging uh, from the very start in the IDE all the way to advanced stuff. And actually in the IDE, there's, if you don't know what object markers, which most people don't, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's a feature in the IDE in IntelliJ. I just did a video. No, stop. Of 16 Uh, You have just to promote, because uh, uh, if you would like to talk about this, we have to do this next time. Uh, your, your road, you know, to debugging. But uh, where people can find your, your course right now? You, know, you have a link? Uh, debugagent.com. 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 Okay. But, but I have yeah. to say, the entire uh, discussion was a huge promotion for debugging. Actually, what you said, you did this entire time, you know, at the C++ time with the refactoring or whatever. 
And I think you are the, one yeah. of the few instructors or, or trainers who are also able to debug, you know, under fire, right? During a robbery. I right? hope so. so. Uh, ex extreme I conditions. So. Extreme, extreme conditions. <laughs> yeah, cool. I spent a lot of time in, uh, in the trenches. I have Literally. to invite you back. So uh, thank you for watching. And what's your Twitter handle? Shay Debug Almond, agent. Right? Debug agent. Debug Twitter agent. Handle as well. Okay, debug agent. Yeah. Okay, thank you.